0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you would to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, book of Ephesians chapter 1, book of Ephesians chapter 1, and turn with me there to the 15th verse of that first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word, unless Read the section of Scripture this morning that we'll be tackling. Starting in verse 15 of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And it reads like this. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who feels all in all father we have read your word now i ask you take that word and you make it alive in our hearts that we may forever be changed this we pray in the name of your precious Son and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and you may be seated. This morning you'll recall that we've been looking at this particular passage, this section of the passage here for just a few weeks. We started off back in uh, chapter 15 looking at Paul's perception of the church. If you remember, his perception of the church was that they had faith in God, he tells us there, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that through that and because of that faith, he had love for all saints. So his perception of the church was that it was a church that loved Jesus Christ, that knew who Jesus Christ was, knew about that doctrine of election, predestination, a doctrine of redemption, and, and a doctrine of inheritance, and knew about those things, took those things to heart, and because of those things that Christ had done for them, love poured out from them into the saints. He tells us that in verse 15. Then he moved on at towards the end of that, and he said that because of those things in verse 15, starting in 16, he says, I do not see to give you thanks God he says he's giving thanks to God for for them he's praying to God saying thank you for these believers thank you for those who come to understand thank you for this body here so he's continually praying so his perception of the church was one of faithfulness to God one of love because of what God had done and it was a, a thankful attitude that he had for the church but then the second thing to, that we looked at starting last week was that he had a petition for the church if you remember he petitioned the church starting in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ that one that he believed in that one that we had love because of the father of glory may give to you spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him remember we talked about that spirit last week it's that same word that we get pneumonia from if you remember pneumia, uh, the rational soul that rational thinking process of our bodies he's saying he, that spirit that rationally understands he was praying that god would enlighten that in their hearts and then that second word that he was using there when he was talking about their spirit was sophia sophia that that uh, uh why part or clear so he's wanting this rational clear understanding of who God was this rational clear understanding of who God was and he said he wanted it to be revealed and if you remember we talked about last week that revelation is not where you're sitting in the pew and suddenly this voice comes from heaven and speaks out loud and you go wow a new revelation no we were talking about revealed through his word God has revealed all things about himself from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation to us. God has already revealed himself to us. What Paul was praying is that our understanding would be such that we would understand what that revelation was. Because you got to admit, sometimes you read the word and it makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes you read it and you can't get your arms around it. Sometimes you read it and you think it says one thing. You come back and you read it and you think it says another. And you have this hard time of understanding. And this is what Paul was praying. This is his petition for the church that they would have an understanding, a grasp, as we would say in this day and time, of what God was saying. So that's where we left off last week is where he was asking for a spirit of wisdom and revelation there in verse 17. So this week we're going to look at verse 18 where he says this. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So what are the eyes of our understanding? It's kind of interesting some of the words that have been used in different translations for those eyes of understanding. Here the word that's used is othomas. "othomas." It's a word that kind of sounds a little bit like ophthalmology, doesn't it? It gives you understanding maybe a little bit like ophthalmology. What it really means is to gaze. It's this word that means to gaze upon. In the form that is used here, it's, it's used more like to envy or to give a sideways glance at something. To give a sideways glance at something. You know, if you ride down the road and you're driving and you're continually trying to drive with this sideways glance, you don't make it very far before you have some problems, do you? And one of the things that, that Paul is pointing out here is these eyes have different ways of perceiving things, different ways of looking at something. What would be a sideways glance when it comes to your eyes and understanding God's word? A sideways glance of the eyes and understanding God's word is to come and sit one hour a week within church to try to learn everything that's contained in the hundreds of thousands of pages and words that are written in God's word. A sideways glance is to allow someone else to tell you what God's word says. And see what God is saying through Paul here is he's saying I want you to gaze at the word. I want you to take from the word what I'm saying. I don't want you to have a sideways glance through someone else to understand what's in God's word. You take to heart. You look at this word. Paul is praying that that sideways glance that you're taking at the word now, if you're just allowing someone else to explain it to you, would come a straightforward gaze. It would become something where you would take the time to look into God's word and let it speak to your heart. Yes, you take direction from others. Yes, you sit in Sunday school and and someone teaches you in Sunday school or you sit in here and and for 30 or 45 minutes or so, some of you may say two hours, um, I get the opportunity to share with you what God says to me through the Word. But you should take what I say and you should go back and you should look into the Word and let it speak to your heart. See, the final say on what the Word says is not me. The final word on what the Word says is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart through your gaze into the Word. And what Paul is saying here, what he's praying for is that that the eyes, that gaze that you would have, would burn brighter, would look closer, would be more intent. So he's saying there that that ophthalmos, that those eyes, that gaze would be be more intent. But see, Paul uses a another compound word there for that understanding. Whenever he says there, the eyes of your understanding, he's saying I want that that sincere gaze to of your understanding, in some of your translations, it may, may be translated "heart" as of your heart, which is really a better translation than the word "understanding." See that that two-part, that compound word for understanding that's used here is "deia," being the first part of the word, the dea being this channel of or this throughness or something that is being used as a channel. It's kind of like when you're trying to take water from a well to a house, the dea would be the pipe that is used to carry the water. The pipe's not the significant part as far as you're concerned. You're wanting water from the faucet. But without the Dei, without that channel, the water doesn't get from the well to the house. So there's this dea he's talking about first in this compound word. The second part of that is, is nuse. Nuse is the second part of that, which is mind or intellect. So it's the channel of your mind or intellect. So what are your eyes? What are the gaze to do? The gaze is to turn on, is to put into that channel of your mind the word of God. What he's saying is I want the eyes, your gaze, to start placing within your mind the Word of God. We would dare say if, if we were to go around the room and everybody would be honest in the presence of God, if I was to ask you how many days a week do you pick up your Bible and read, I could tell you that there's 20 of you that will admit on a daily basis that you read the Word of God. How do I know that? Because that was our average last, night, last month, wasn't it, Brother Russell, or last quarter? Twenty. Twenty. Look around the room. How many people are sitting here? How many people love God enough that your gaze is focused on the Word of God every day? Twenty. You want to know why the world's in the fix it's in? It's because the Christians don't love God enough to listen to Him. I'm telling you, if you're not picking up the Word of God, gazing upon it, allowing it to be channeled through your mind to your understanding, you're sinning. There is no way around it. If you're not picking up that word of God and you come and you say, God, why aren't you working in my life? I can tell you. Let me just shortcut it for you. If you're not listening to him, you don't know what he's trying to do. If you're not reading the word of God, you have no idea what God's trying to do in your life. You may listen to a guy on TV, you may come listen to me, but until you listen to God personally by gazing into his word and putting it in the channel of your mind so that your understanding can grasp it, you have no idea what God's doing. All you've done is punched a ticket to heaven, and now you're sitting back waiting for God to come get you. And I am sorry to say there's 20 folks that are willing to pick up the Bible on a daily basis and read it. If you're married, and only 20 of you that are married took the time daily to speak to your spouse, how well would your marriage go? Not real well. Even when I'm out of town, my wife expects me to call her. Expects me to call her. You know what happens when I don't call? She calls me. She leaves me messages like, have you died? (laughs) Is something wrong with you? She suddenly gets in a panic mode when she doesn't hear from me. Why? Because just to hear my voice sets things straight. Just to hear me say something to her sets things straight. And the same for me. Our relationship is based on daily interaction with each other. To be married and lived on opposite sides of the country wouldn't be much of a relationship, now would it? Why in the end are you trying to have a relationship with God, seeing him one hour a week? Paul's praying for this church's eyes to be opened, for their mind to be set on fire, for the word of God to be channeled through their intellect so that they understand more about God. You know, I said in your translation may have the word heart instead of understanding. I think that's a better translation in most cases, except for the fact we misunderstand the word heart. We think about heart, we think about February, we think about Valentine's Day, we think about these emotions and and all these. Heart is not about emotions when it's used in the word. See, your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with God, yes, can be emotional, but it's not based on emotions, if your relationship with God is based on emotions, it's a false relationship. Because your emotions will lead you down the wrong path. If you've ever had a relationship where you just knew it was the one yes, when you were young. You just knew, boy, you were head over heels in love. This is the one. I am just so, just so enthralled with this person, boy. If they were to fall down, they wouldn't even get a scratch because the angels would catch them right before they hit the ground and stand them back up. They're perfect. Then all of a sudden the real them comes out. And suddenly that emotion that you had, your intellect kicks in and goes, hold on a second. <laughs> you realize had you have followed the emotional path, your life would have been a disaster. It's that intellectual, it's the feeling, yes, but not the emotion that you react on. So when you think of that word heart that's used in some of your translations, that word's actually cardiac. It's where we get the word cardiac from within, within our, uh, our talking about hearts and, and patients and doctors and that sort of thing. Cardia. Cardia actually means thoughts or feelings, not emotions. So when he's saying the eyes of the heart, the eyes of the understanding, he's saying the exact same thing. The eyes of that thought process that you've got, the out, the eyes of that feeling. He's not talking about the emotional thing. He's talking about feelings based on the truth. Remember what he's been talking to us about in these passages. See, in in the days of the writing of, of the New Testament, the, the guys of the Greek and the, and the Jews, they didn't use the word heart like we do at Valentine's Day. Whenever they talked about you having some type of feeling, some type of emotion, they used a word like we do today. Like if you get where you've got, let's say, I told one of you at the end of the service, you're going to have to get up here and recite to everybody what I said today. What would immediately happen in the midsection of your body you would suddenly get this tension. You would suddenly get a little nauseous. You would suddenly have this gut feeling that it wasn't real comfortable. See, when the Greeks and the Jews talked about love, you know the word that they used? We translate it today, bowels. So instead of passing out heart cards this February, we're going to pass out bowel cards how would you like it if you called your wife up and said, honey, I love you so much, my bowels are just yearning to see you. But that's the word that they used. Why? We still do it today. When you talk about, you talk to a businessman, you say, why did you do such and such? He said, I had a gut feeling that's the way I should go. We talk about guys in sports having the guts to do something, the emotion, the feeling. So when you, when you think about this harder understanding, don't make it emotional. You see, they used a totally different word when it came uh, to emotions. What he's really talking about is this complete feeling that you have that comes from the understanding of God's word. He's talking about your eyes being open to a thought process, a complete understanding. Look with me over to uh, 1 John. Over at 1 John. Right in the third chapter of 1 John, I want to give you a usage of it so maybe to help you a little better understand what that heart or understanding is. Starting in the 16th uh, verse of the third chapter of 1 John, it says this. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. So he makes a statement. Love comes in our life because we know that someone loved us so much he laid down his life for us. He moves on to say, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So he's saying this, someone laid down their life for you so you know love. So if you truly love, you'll lay down your life for them. So he starts off with this statement. Doesn't that kind of run hand in hand with what Paul was saying about that church at Ephesus? When he says, I know your faith, someone laying down their life for you. And I know your love for others. Same thing that he said here in in 1 John. John said that you would lay down your life for others. So he's making sort of that same statement in connection. He goes on to 17 to say though, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. So he's saying, okay, if God's blessed you and you've got worldly possessions and you see a brother in need, he says, and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him? See, that heart is not just this emotional feeling. It's the feeling that comes through understanding of God. See, what John was saying there is you understanding that Christ died for your sins and that you were loved through that. And you understand that that love now needs to get into the world. If God has blessed you with something that could bless someone else and show the love of God through the eyes of your understanding of what God would have you do, you should share that with them. You see how that heart is put in place? And I find it interesting that so many of us in in Christendom, so to speak, don't really have a heart for God anymore. You know what's missing in our church? A heart for God. You know how I know it's missing? I had someone the other day say, Pastor, do you ever get disheartened that you give invitations at the end and you ask people to come and pray for those that they know that need Jesus or come and pray for their concerns and no one moves and I say no it's my job to preach maybe someone else's job to water maybe someone else's job to reap. but it's my job to preach the word but what does sadden me is when God's church is not willing to fall on their face before God and repent of their sins and ask God to bless them or their neighbor, or especially this country. There is no reason whatsoever that we don't have to bring in a floor cleaner and suck the tears off of this floor every Sunday afternoon for God's people praying for this country. If you don't need God in your life because everything's perfect, great. I'll be glad to give you a list of people who do. I can give you the name of four families who lost loved ones just this week from a terrorist attack. Four Marines who were shot dead in the line of duty to your country. They gave you the freedom to sit in this place this morning and worship God. If you can't pray for those four families, something's wrong with your heart. And what Paul is saying is I want you to have this understanding that just moves your heart to be like Jesus. I want you to be like Jesus. See, the heart is used and. That time to reference the part of the body that is the mind. It's figuratively used as the central organ. That central organ that controls our thoughts. That central organ that controls our thoughts. If you would, this morning, look over at Second Peter with me. Hope I pull the right reference. I'm going to do this one off the cuff. I didn't write it down this morning. But First Peter. I knew that was wrong. Go to 2 Peter. It's a good thing I read it to myself before I give it to you, huh? Second Peter 1. Yeah, that's it. 2 Peter 1, verse 19. It's amazing how things run through my head sometimes and they don't get to the front in complete order. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were once or were moved by the Holy Spirit." What's he saying here as he's writing? He starts off and he says, And so we have the prophetic word. What was the prophetic word? It was those things spoken and written by the prophets. You can, for generality purposes, call it the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament. And we have the Old Testament confirmed. What confirmed the Old Testament prophetic statements? Jesus. Remember he said, I don't come to rewrite the law. I come to make proof that the law was right. I come to fulfill the law. Peter's not putting Jesus ahead of the word here. He's putting the word ahead of Jesus. See, you hold firm to Jesus in your life. When you should be holding firm to the word, the word causes you to hold firm to Jesus. He's saying here we have the prophetic word that was confirmed secondarily by Jesus. The word being the important thing, Jesus being the confirmation. And he says, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place. What did Jesus say was? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light. I am the door. All of those things that he said were a light, were a doorway, were all those things in a dark place were shown through Jesus. He said, and you should heed those until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. When will the day dawn and the morning star rise in your heart? When the trumpet blows and Jesus calls you home. See, there will be a day as surely as I'm standing here that God will call us home. And he says, hold firm to the word that's been proclaimed and confirmed by Jesus, that word that shone the light in the dark places until the day he comes to get you. He says, knowing first that no prophecy of scripture, nothing ever, ever, ever was written, uh, nothing ever, ever, ever was interpreted that it is any private interpretation. What does that mean? You don't have the right to interpret the Bible the way you choose. You do not have that right. You do not have the right to say it says this when you can find somewhere else in Scripture that it doesn't say that. It says the opposite. You can only interpret the Scripture through the Holy Spirit. Will you interpret it wrong sometimes? Absolutely. I've looked back on some of my interpretations of Scripture over the year and went, whew, that was close. I sure wish we were playing uh, hand grenades because I wasn't quite there and had to rethink that are you always going to get it right absolutely not why because you're not in the word enough that's what I find in my case but he's saying you do not have the right to privately interpret scripture you interpret scripture in the whole of scripture by the work of the Holy Spirit and he goes on to put emphasis on that when he says the prophecy never came by the will of man you know what that tells me You can't take part of the scripture and like it and part of the scripture and not like it. Because every bit of it was written by God. You can't say, I like this, I don't like that. I'm not going to apply this, but I am going to apply that. You can't do it. Because if you throw one part out, throw the whole thing out. You take one piece out of the Jenga game wrong, the whole tower falls over. That's what he's saying. He says, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. How do we interpret scripture? We interpret scripture by our eyes of our heart, our understanding being opened to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that word comes alive in your heart. If you ever wanted the word of God to come alive in your heart, that's what Paul's asking. That's what Paul's asking in Ephesians for the church. He's asking God that. See, here's what Paul is is praying for. What Paul was praying for is that we would do not that what feels right but that what is right sometimes what god asks you to do doesn't feel right sometimes what god asks you to say doesn't feel right but if it's god asking through the word for you to do it it's not of you to question it's of you to do because it's either lord of your life or your lord or your own life they do not end at the same place When God asks you to do something, it may feel uncomfortable. And it should. It should be uncomfortable. Because if it was comfortable, it would be of you. (laughs) There's not a thing that we do that should ever be of us and should ever be comfortable for God. He asks us to step out and do things that we don't think we're capable of doing. That's what makes it of God. If you were capable, he wouldn't need you to do it. What he needs you to do is step out regardless of whether you think you're capable and let him work through you. Because if you can do it through your own power, it will never glorify God. It must be done through his power. See, he wants them to concentrate on what God says is true. It's not good enough to know the facts of God's word, but we must know the true facts of God's word and how they relate to our life. See, you must have the eyes of your understanding open by the Holy Spirit to understand the truth. And very quickly, if you would, flip with me over to Luke. I'm going to give you an example out of the Bible of this. I'm going to give it to you in pieces, and you're going to have to go home and add your name to the list of those who read your Bible today to get this in full. Otherwise, we'll be here another 20 minutes. And Quite frankly, I'm going to leave it up to you to gather this. How about that? Luke 24, starting in verse 15. Starting in verse 15 of Luke 24. You'll notice that Luke 24 follows after uh, they've done the upper room, after Christ has been beaten, after he's been before Pilate, after he's been tried, after he's been convicted, after he's been hung on a cross, after he's died for you, after he's been put in the ground, after he's, he's been stowed away in that tomb. And even after the tomb is found empty, that's where we are in the history of Jesus here in Luke 24 starting in verse uh, 13 says now behold two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus it's interesting to note we have no idea who the two are yet one is named here in a few minutes we have no idea who they are we have no idea where the city of Emmaus is it's never mentioned again in scripture so two unknowns here as it starts this it says, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So somewhere in the circle of seven miles lay the city of Emmaus, and they were going down this road. It says in verse 14, and they talked together for of all things which had happened. What were the things? The things I just mentioned to you. The trial, the beatings, the death, the burial, even the resurrection. All those things are the things that they were talking about as they traveled. So it says in 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned. In other words, they talked they tried to understand. They said, hey, did you hear about this? And he said, yes. And did you hear about this? And how could this have happened? And where was Jesus' body? And why did they hang him upon a cross? All those things they were talking and conversing about. And it says, and they reasoned together. In other words, trying to understand. Well, why did this happen? Well, what happened and why? And it says that Jesus drew near and went with them. So can you picture it? Two of them walking down the road. Their entire world's turned upside down because there was this Jesus they were counting on that's now gone. Even his body's missing. And they're walking along in such deep thought concentration talking about it that suddenly another man appears out of nowhere walking with him and it's Jesus. Watch the reaction. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. Had they ever seen Jesus before? Yes. You'd have to assume yes. The reason being is because they knew about the crucifixion and the beatings. They knew about those things that were talking about Jesus. They had been in Jesus' presence this was not the first time they'd ever been near Jesus. First time they'd ever been near the resurrected Jesus, but they had been near him. But notice it says their eyes were restrained and they did not know him. Here's what I relate that to I relate that to the person that sits in a church pew every Sunday, hears about Jesus, knows all the great stories, but wouldn't know him if he sat down next to him on a pew because they've never had a personal, ongoing relationship with my Lord. They know the stories. You tell the story, they can say, that's about Jesus. You start a story, they can finish it. You say, You remember that day the guy was walking, yeah, Jesus walked across the water. You remember the day that they took some yeah, the loaves and the bread and the fed five? Th- yeah, I remember. But if you walked in and sat down, wouldn't have any idea who he was. That's these guys. They're walking along. He goes on to say, and he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So in other words, they were upset, they're walking along, and he questions them. What are you guys talking about? Then the one whose name was Cleopas, that's where we know of one of them, but we never really know anything else about him, says his name Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He's saying, What are you? Did you just fly in from the west or something and you just showed up and you don't know what's going on in Jerusalem? And he said to them, What things? He plays dumb. He goes, what things are you talking about? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. What did they know about Jesus? Where he was from, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. To them, he was a teacher. Knew the stories, heard what he said, saw the miracles. See why I relate it to a person that sits on a pew and hears the stories and knows them all but doesn't know Jesus? Because they knew all about him, knew he was a prophet, knew he was mighty indeed and healed people and word. He spoke like no other before God and before all the people. They also knew that the chief priests and rulers didn't like him and they served him up to be killed, condemned him, and they crucified him. So that's their knowledge. Moves on to 21. But we were hoping, here's their hope, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel what was their thought deep down about Jesus that he was that king that Messiah that Messiah that would come and rule rule for God over all the people and it says indeed besides all this today is the third day since these things have happened a reference to his missing body yes and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. Talking about Peter and John. They ran, if you remember, and looked inside the tomb and there was no Jesus. So this is what they're reciting. Then Jesus said to them, and I find this interesting, oh foolish ones (laughs) first off they were foolish why because they were slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken they wanted to know that he was a prophet they wanted to know that he did things for them but they didn't really understand who he was they knew him physically by the things he did in their midst but they didn't know him spiritually he says oh foolish ones You're so slow a heart, didn't believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ who has suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He's saying you were calling him a prophet, but you don't even know the prophecy said that these things were supposed to happen and he was supposed to return back to glory. Here you're calling him a prophet and you don't even believe what was prophesied about him. He goes on to say, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, the Old Testament, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Must have been a long walk. He told them all the prophecies, everything about himself. Then it says, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in, and he stayed with them. So he abided. And here's the key part. He says, now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with him, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. What does that bring to your remembrance? the lord's supper the last night up in the room breaks the bread he gives it to them watch what happened then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight see they had known all about this prophetic jesus they had known all the things that he had done but it wasn't until the moment that he fellowshiped and became personal to them that their eyes were opened and they saw jesus for who he was did it affect us their lives any sure? You can read the rest of the story, but over in verse 44 of chapter 24, it says, Then he said to them, Jesus again, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Sound familiar? He just went over all those things with the two guys on the road, remember? And it says, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures opened their understanding that he might comprehend the scriptures. What an awesome, awesome thought. What an awesome thought. Those guys, if you'll go back and you'll read that passage, starting where I just did to the end, you'll understand that those guys said, well, we were walking down the road, he tells the, the other disciples in 33 on. says, well, we were walking down the road. Didn't our heart, our understanding become on fire when he spoke didn't we become on fire when we heard the truth about jesus wasn't our heart stoked for him what's paul praying for the church as he petitions god what he's praying for like we looked at last week was that you would have wisdom and revelation from god and how would that happen That would happen through the eyes of your heart. The eyes of your understanding being opened. That your heart would become on fire for the word of God. And it's through that direct gaze into the word that the Holy Spirit channels the word of God through your mind. Through your mind into your heart. That your heart would overflow in love to those around you. How do you make a difference in the lost and dying world? You know the truth of God's word. For how are we saved? We're saved by knowing what the Word tells us about Jesus. We're saved by knowing the truth about Jesus, by hearing that truth. How has the world changed? By the ones who hear the truth, taking the truth of the Word to the lost and dying world. See, we sit back and wait for them to beat our door down and let the pastor tell them about Jesus on Sunday. Has it worked? Apparently not. We should come alive with the word through the work of the Holy Spirit and take it to the lost and dying world. We do that by asking God to open our eyes, open our spiritual hearts, and set into us that flame starts as a flicker and grows into a brush fire as you take more and more of that word in. And this is what Paul was saying about the church. So I ask you that this morning, church. How much fire is in the understanding of your heart? What's running through that channel What is running through your mind when you think about decisions in your life? What runs through your mind when you think about what God's doing in this place? How do you judge what you do each day? How do you decide what is the right and the wrong thing? Have you made decisions you're less than proud of? I would dare say you never ran them through the filter of God's word. How do you make decisions in your life that are correct? By running them through the filter of God's word. And believing what comes out. Not saying, eh, but. Because everything that follows the but is wrong. See, we make decisions in our life and our church based on what God tells us in the truth of his word. We make decisions on sharing the gospel to the world based on what God tells us in in his word. What difference could we make in this great big world? Read the story of missionaries. Go read about the missionaries of the past. Someone handed me a card this morning about a new missionary that's going out in the mission field. Want us to pray for them and we'll add them to our prayer list. But one missionary showing up in one little foreign country and showing the love of God has changed the direction of nations for years. People have heard about Jesus because of the commitment of one person one person look how many are gathered here what if we all committed committed to have the eyes of our understanding open so that we understand god's word and we didn't just hold it in our hearts we spilled it out in love to those around us what difference would curry be what difference would Burgall area what about pender county what difference would north carolina be because our eyes have been opened this morning that's my prayer for you pray with me most gracious heavenly father Today we have opened your word, and you have challenged my heart, if no one else's, to have the eyes of my understanding open so that whenever I read your word, I understand what you're saying, and I take that word and apply it to my life, not just harbor it as knowledge, but turn it into action. As your Holy Spirit speaks to each heart in this place this morning, Father, I ask first and foremost that you open the eyes of their understanding. They have professed faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. They have shown love to those around them day in and day out. Today, Father, I ask as Paul asks for the church for wisdom and revelation from your Word and do that by giving their eyes a new understanding, a new gaze into your Word. Speak to them in such a way that their life is honoring to you. This I pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The invitation goes like this this morning. You may be with us and you don't have a church home. Today we would welcome you. We'd welcome you to come be a part of us, to come worship with us on a regular basis. Maybe this morning you are a part of this church family, but you don't feel like your eyes are open. Maybe you don't see scripture. Maybe you have lost your desire. Remember what was said about the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. They had lost their first love. What do you think losing their first love started with? Loss of love for the word. Why do you think Paul's praying for them, asking that their eyes be under, uh, eyes of understanding be opened, so they don't lose that first love that we read about when we studied the Church at Ephesus in the old, in Revelation. So this morning, maybe you're willing to admit, God, you know what? I'm not one of that 20 that reads my Bible daily. Come, repent. God tells us he's faithful and just to forgive of our sins, but he's only going to do it if you put pride out of the way and you admit to God, I've sinned. If you're not willing to stand before him and say, I've sinned and ask for forgiveness, I don't know why his son would stand before him on your behalf. Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It all starts there. These are nothing but words on a page if you first don't know the word, Jesus Christ. Maybe today you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. Don't tarry. Look around you. This world is quickly drawing to a close. There will come a day you will not have another opportunity to respond to the gospel. Today? Maybe that day. I don't know. Are you willing to roll the dice and take that chance? I wouldn't. Jesus loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you so much he died upon a cross for your sins. soon.